0: good stuff. How's everybody doing? We had a a busy week, a good week, got to meet a lot of really good people in the community, and uh, looking forward to just having some uh, wonderful times with each of you. Uh, Pray for us. Uh, We have signed a contract on our house to sell it, so That should be done, I'm hoping, by the end of this coming week. And uh, hopefully, in the next uh, uh, just little bit, we'll be able to move all our stuff up here. And uh, Phyllis can quit worrying about it. And and, uh, just uh, help us pray that way, would you? That we could find the right house that God wants us to have. And. uh, We're so grateful to the church, uh, the board, for allowing us to stay in the uh, uh, guest quarters. That's a blessing to us. And everyone who's been so kind to us, thank you. And uh, we appreciate uh, your kind words, uh, cards that you've shared with us, and uh, gifts that you've uh, gave to us. Thank you so very, very much. You've made the uh, transition Easier for us. Thank you for that. Well, if you take your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at the second installment of uh, the message that we began last week, talking about lordship lessons. Psalms chapter 23 is our uh, key passage of Scripture. We want to read that again this morning, and then we're going to uh, look at a, a couple of other passages. Last week we talked about the fact that God directs us in order to define us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and then he leadeth me uh, beside the still waters, maketh me lie down in green pastures, he restores my soul. The idea of God's direction in our life is that it teaches us of the relationship of shepherd and sheep. We are totally dependent upon God. As a Christian, we are not people who believe that we are able to do all things by ourselves. We are not self-sufficient. The Word of God teaches us that our blessing and our help comes from the Lord. So we are, we are totally dependent on Jesus. And as a shepherd would would lead his flock, so God and the Lord Jesus Christ are directing his people. We learned some really beautiful things about that last week. Now, today we want to look a little bit further into this passage of Scripture. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters." He restoreth my soul. Remember, the word soul there is literally a word that means mind. He restores my mind. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Verse 10, I want to read just one passage of Scripture. Job 23, verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, and that word tried is a Hebrew word, and it means to test. So you could actually read it. But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tested me. I shall come forth as gold. And then in the New Testament, I conclude this morning with 1 Peter 1, verse 7. That the trial or testing of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word today. We just ask the Holy Spirit to help us in the next few moments of time. We pray, oh God, that you would speak to every heart and every life. Captivate us, Lord, right now. Don't let our attention be misdirected. Don't let us be unfocused. Holy Spirit, bring us under your power and your persuasion and grant unto us that we might have ears to hear what you are speaking in this service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The second lordship lesson that I want us to get a hold of today is he defends us in order to develop us. He defends us to develop us. Now, notice with me in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow of death uh, actually is a literal place. And it is uh, found just south of Bethlehem in a deep valley. And uh, the shepherd boy David, I am sure that when he wrote this psalm, was contemplating the many trips that he had taken, watching his father's sheep, uh, taking them to and f- from pasture, and uh, South of Bethlehem, there's, as I said, this deep chasm. And it uh, was a place where wild animals thrived. It was a place where thieves and thugs and robbers often made their uh, dwelling. And so when people would go through this this deep valley, and uh, it was a, a highly wooded area, it would be very, very easy to fall prey to an attack either from an animal or from a human being. So this valley of the shadow of death, David was not necessarily just talking about the opportunity to die. You could actually say it like this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of imminent danger. Everybody say that with me, imminent danger. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in an imminently dangerous world. Uh, I, I tell you, you can have something happen to you in a split second. And you don't even have time to think about it, correct it, or prevent it. It just takes place. Life is very fragile. And David was contemplating as he was taking his sheep from one place to another, going through this valley of imminent danger. I want us to look this morning at the words that are used here, and I believe the Holy Spirit was very particular. Number one, he says, I walk through the valley of imminent danger. Everybody say walk. Now walk is important here because it, it pictures not a hurried up thing, not a moment or just a a quick passing of time. He is saying, I'm walking through this place of imminent danger. The word walk here speaks of process. When I am going through this place of imminent danger, I am walking through it. I am not running through it, I'm walking through it. What the Lord is trying to tell us here is that He is in the process. We are a microwave people, and we serve a crockpot God. I had a deacon in my second church, and he uh, he would always say it. He'd say it jokingly, but he he he, he was trying to make a point. He would always say, Pastor, if there's anything wrong with God, it's that he's slow. And how many of you would wave your hand at me if you understand? Sometimes it seems, according to our human contemplation of time, that God is slow. But I just am here to tell you, he's always right on time. He's always right on time. And so if we are really going to learn lordship lessons, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's where it starts at. We make Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's in charge of our life. We're looking to him for every decision that we make. And so if we really want to learn these lordship lessons, we're going to have to make sure that Jesus is on the throne of our hearts and not us. And when we learn that, then we learn that he defends us in order to develop us. Has anybody gone through a peril? Has anybody gone through a trial? Have you ever been tested? Three people. Okay. This is the crowd I want to preach to. Have you ever gone through a peril or a problem? Have you ever dealt with difficult people? Have you ever been between the rock and the hard spot? I'm telling you, human dilemmas are innumerable. They, They come up every day. Situations arise that we don't contemplate and we certainly don't have answers for. And so we have to learn that God allows things into our life for a purpose, for a reason. Walk talks about the process. The word through talks about purpose. God is bringing us somewhere. What is He bringing us to? He's bringing us through a process to fulfill His purpose. Everybody say purpose. And then the valley of imminent danger, the valley of the shadow of death is the peril. And those three things, the the process, the peril, and the purpose are so vitally important to us as we develop our faith. If we don't have the process, we will never get to God's purpose. If God doesn't allow testing or perils to come, our faith will never grow. We will always be impotent in our faith. We will never have a powerful faith. We will never develop our faith. We will never develop our relationship with God. You see, the reason I I, I know my wife loves me is because of the stuff we've been through together. She's stuck by me through thick and thin. She's been there when things were good, and she's been there when things are bad. She's just like the Lord. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He promises that He will always be with us, whether it is good or whether it is bad, whether the sun is shining or whether it's raining. God is a faithful God. Our problem is, is that we've always got our eyes on the peril rather than understanding God is taking us through a process. He defends us to develop us. Let's talk a little bit about the process. Daniel, one of the most powerful examples of people of faith in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Daniel in chapter 1, you remember, he's among the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar is king. He lives in Babylon. Uh, he has some friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in the same boat he's in. And these are young Hebrew men. And they are challenged to forsake their faith. They are challenged to forsake and leave behind the way of life that they have grown accustomed to. They are being Babylonianized, if you will. And that's what the devil wants to do with every one of us. As Christians, the enemy wants us to compromise our belief system, our value system, our doctrinal system, so that we will walk away from Christ and begin to be assimilated into the world. This is the struggle that Paul talks about all the time, between flesh and and spirit wave at me if you're hearing me I won't lose you Paul says that we constantly are in a warfare between flesh and spirit God wants to have lordship in our lives but the devil wants to make us and cause us to walk away from that and follow the ways of the flesh And so Daniel, you remember, the the servant of Nebuchadnezzar came and said, Now, what what we want you to do is we want you to start eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine. And that's just a powerful picture of, of being assimilated into the world. The devil wants to destroy your faith. He wants you to forget about your commitment to Jesus Christ. And he constantly, every day, challenges you in that area. Don't say he doesn't, because he does. He does to me. He wants you to throw your faith away and take hold of the things of the world. Drink the king's wine, eat the king's meat. Daniel, you remember, he said, can't do that. I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Let me eat just my simple vegetable diet. And give me water. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to believe God. And God is going to take care of me. Come on now. And, and, and the servant of Nebuchadnezzar said, Oh my goodness, you can't do this to me. If, if, you, if you start looking poor, if you, if you start getting skinny, if you start looking frail, the king is going to have me killed. I, 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 I literally will lose my life over your bean and water diet. Daniel said... I'll tell the king what I'm doing if, it doesn't, if this doesn't work. I'll, I'll, I'll reveal to the king. And so you remember 10 days later after beans and water and everybody else eating the king's table and the fare from the king's table, the Bible said that Daniel was as fair and as strong and as handsome and as good-looking And as powerful as the other guys who were eating at the king's table. Now, I want you to see this. Daniel not only tested himself and his faith, but he was testing God. He was testing the Lord. Not tempting God, but testing God. What does the Bible say? Try me and see if I will not do this is that what God says about tithe paying? Test me and see if I won't do what I'm telling you I'll do. And so Daniel in chapter 1 puts God to the test and also his faith to the test and he goes through that process of the 10 days and he comes out victorious. Well, what does that do? That prompts him to just continue to develop his faith. You remember in chapter uh, three, he saw the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that story? All the people of the uh, uh, princes were called together, and, and the people called together in this great assembly, and, and the statue of Nebuchadnezzar was revealed, and, and the trumpet sounded, and everybody bowed except. Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, the three Hebrews, friends of Daniel. And they wouldn't bow. And so they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was angry. He was mad. And, and, and they told, told him what, what, uh, what was going to happen. You'd be thrown into a fiery furnace if you don't bow. You know, the devil's always threatening us with consequences, isn't he? If we lose our faith, if we, if we don't act like the world, if we don't behave like everybody else behaves. Well, little elephants will roost in trees when I have to give up my faith. Have you made up your mind to live for Jesus? Come on now. I'm talking about a militancy of faith. The, the three Hebrews said, listen, King, <laughs> we just want to tell you something that's a pretty statue that's really neat your head's up there on gold yeah really cool but we just want you to know something we have this we have this law that we attend to in our lives thou shalt have no other gods before me that's what our god said and we attend to that and so nebuchadnezzar we want you to know that while everybody else bows, and it's a neat statue, and it's really pretty, and we understand what's going on, we will not bend, we will not bow. And listen, King, we know you got intentions on throwing us into this fiery furnace, but our God is able to deliver us. But he goes on to say, whether he delivers us or not, We won't bend, and we won't bow. Oh, hallelujah. God, give us that kind of faith in this hour, in this generation, when everybody else is compromising, let us stick out like a sore thumb so that we can shine our light for Jesus Christ into this generation and make a statement about who He is. Hallelujah. And so they threw the three Hebrews into the fire, bound them up in ropes and threw them into the fire. And uh, they had stoked the furnace seven times hotter than it had ever been. Uh, After a little while, (laughs) when Nebuchadnezzar thought the three Hebrews were nothing more than barbecue, they opened the furnace door. And Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar peered in. And you remember the story. When he looked in, he said to his guys standing around him, Did we not cast into this fiery furnace three men bound? I want to tell you something. I see four men, loose, walking around in the midst of the fire, and the form of the fourth man is like the Son of God. Our God is able to deliver us, was their statement of faith. We're not going to bend, we're not going to bow, we're not going to follow your worldly rules, we're not going to worship another God, we're going to keep our faith pure. And boy, Jesus showed up in the middle of the fire. They took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. They didn't have a singed hair. Their clothes didn't smell like smoke, and not one of their not one of them had, had been harmed or hurt by the flames. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Oh my goodness, the God you serve is a great and a mighty God. You see, that's the end result of your faith being tested, is that the world receives that declaration, our God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a great and a mighty God, and He's the God we ought to be serving. Daniel had seen the faith of the three Hebrews, and his faith was stirred to an even greater level. If you go over to, what is it, chapter 5 or chapter 6? Chapter 6, Daniel is a praying man. I'm talking about walking through the valley of imminent danger. I'm talking about a process. Daniel believed God in chapter 1. He saw the faith of the Hebrews confirmed in chapter 3. Now in chapter 6, he's a praying man. He prays every day. Three times a day, he opens his window toward Jerusalem and he prays. His enemies in Babylon, decided that they were going to get Nebuchadnezzar to sign an order that says that for 30 days, anybody who worships any other God or prays to any other God than Nebuchadnezzar, he will be cast into a lion's den. They knew they had him saddled then because they knew Daniel was a man of integrity and a person of prayer and even after Daniel heard that King Nebuchadnezzar had signed the decree Daniel prayed what was Daniel doing Daniel was testing his God and he was also testing his faith he was developing his faith through the process the peril was the lion's den the promise of Nebuchadnezzar was I'll destroy whoever does this in, in this, this, this space of time. If anybody worships anybody else or prays to anybody else other than the image of Nebuchadnezzar, they'll be destroyed. Why does God let us be tested? Why does God let us go through fiery furnace trials? Why, why do winds and waves come and beat against our house. Is it so that God can be cruel and mean and unkind? Absolutely not. It happens so that our faith can be developed. Uh, The valley of imminent danger becomes the ordination of God where our faith is declared, where our faith is tested, where our faith is tried, and it comes out like pure gold out of a crucible. I'm here to tell you God allows the things in our lives uh, so that He can show Himself mighty and strong in behalf of His people. Somebody ought to shout to God, yes, and give the Lord a hand clap this morning. I'm telling you, God is faithful to us even through our perils because the process has a purpose and it is to bring glory and honor to God to develop our faith. Daniel in chapter 6 just continues to pray. And so that day he opened his window after the declaration and the decree of Nebuchadnezzar had been signed. He continued to pray. Has the devil ever told you, you might as well quit praying? Why don't you just give up? There's no need to believe me. Last week, sitting right over there uh, behind where about where Brother Sanson's at, my wife's brothers sat. They came to be with us on our first Sunday here That whole row was her family and in the, the man st- sitting on the on the outside on this side of this center section his name is Royce Royce was called to preach when I was we both got our uh, Christian workers papers which is certified minister now but uh, back then it was in 1973 October we got our Christian worker papers. I was uh, both of us were eighteen years old. Royce went through some very difficult times and uh, gave up his call to preach and ended up going through a, a, a difficult a divorce and uh, then remarried, became the uh, police chief in Camden, arkansas uh, went through some uh, all kinds of challenges in his life. And for 30, a little over 30 years, Royce was away from God. Hard-hearted, difficult, didn't want to talk about it. My wife and I, along with her mother and other concerned people, prayed those 30 long years that God would speak to Royce. And I want you to know, he sat there the other day, 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. He gave his heart to Jesus. Came back to God. Renewed his vows to the Lord. And God saved him. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, the devil will tell you to quit believing. Quit praying. Quit focusing on people like that. Because... They're, they're never gonna, they're, that's never gonna happen. I just want you to know, 30 years later, God answered those prayers, God moved by His Spirit, God touched His heart, and God brought Him back to Christ. And you sitting in this room today, I am here to tell you, look around you, and you see answers to prayer, look around you, and, and, and just go, ha ha, devil, because I want you to know the devil wants us to give up, and quit praying, and quit believing, and quit standing, and quit serving, and quit honoring God with our lives. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll be faithful, if you'll be like Daniel, if you won't quit praying, if you'll open your window toward Jerusalem three times a day, if you'll just keep believing, the day will come when that prayer bottled up in heaven will be opened uh, and it will ascend into the very nostrils of God. And God will remember you and God will hear your prayer and God will produce an answer that you never thought could happen. I'm telling you, God is faithful. God is faithful. Daniel just kept on praying. Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says his anger was against the man called Daniel. And he took him, and he had him thrown into a lion's den. And he set a seal upon the den. You know the story. Those lions were hungry lions. They had not eaten for a long time. They were starved for a reason. As soon as whatever was thrown in there, they were going to devour it. So it was sure death. They threw Daniel into that lion's den all night long. The king couldn't even sleep because he, he really loved Daniel. He really liked him. He knew that God was on his side, but he had signed the decree. And so the next morning, he hurried out to the lion's den, and he hollered real loud, Daniel, oh thou man of God! Was your God whom you serve continually, was he able to deliver you? O king, out of the the lion's den. He's got his ear bent low, Nebuchadnezzar. Out of the lion's den. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and closed the mouth of the lions. Amen. Woo! <laughs> I just want you to know, God allows us to walk through the valley of imminent danger, and there may be lions' dens strode all along the way, but our God can send an angel to close the mouth of the lions. God promoted Daniel. Made him. And, and those guys that had signed the king's decree or, or it, it caused that to happen, plotted against Daniel, guess what happened to them? The king had them thrown into the lion's den. Not just them, but their wives and their children. They were wiped off the face of the earth. What are you saying, Pastor? I am here to tell you that. God defends us. He closed the mouth of the lions. He caused the bean and water diet to prosper the man of God. He he walked into the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why does He do that? He defends us. Everybody say, He defends me. He defends me in order to develop me. He defends me to show me that He loves me. He defends me to show that His Word can be trusted. He defends me so that I will not give up in moments of trouble and problem. That I will stand for God and be a believer in the midst of a world that does not believe. Why? So that I can declare to those around me that our God reigns. That He is the real, the true, the one, the living God. That Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He defends us. To develop us. He walks with us. That's the process. The imminent danger. Is the peril. And the word through. Is the purpose. Notice he says. I will fear. No evil. You know this is the issue. With everybody. Who follows Christ. We will either move in faith. Or we will move in fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. You can't be filled with fear and faith at the same time. I remember a man who was an alcoholic telling me his story of how he got delivered. And it's the strangest thing I've ever heard. He decided one day he was going to quit drinking. He just went cold turkey. You know what he did? He drank a gallon of buttermilk every day. He found out if you're full of buttermilk, you can't be full of whiskey. If you're full of Jesus, you can't be full of the devil. If you're full of Christ, you can't be full of the world. If you're full of faith, you can't be full of fear. Boy, that's good preaching. I'm going to buy this tape. Man. I will fear no evil. My faith disperses my fear. Fear would paralyze me. Fear would make me stop in my tracks. But faith propels me on the journey. I will walk through the valley of imminent danger. If faith is taken hold of my heart, then I will pass through this valley. I will not camp out in it. I will not stay in it. Uh, I will not be afraid while I'm in it. But I will believe God while I'm walking through the valley. There's the other side. There's the other side. Somebody shout, I'm going to the other side. I'm going to make it somehow, some way By the faith of God, I'm going to the other side. I will not stay in this stuff. I will walk through this valley. That is the purpose of God. For me to get through it. And when I get through it, God will use it to bring glory to His name. Let me close here in just a few moments. You're going to find I close three times before I actually do how many times have I said that already? <laughs> he that findeth a wife sometimes finds a good thing. Now always finds. A good thing. As Glover two and four there. Notice, notice it says, I will fear no evil, because thou art with me when david takes his sheep through the the valley of imminent danger he does it in faith but he does it also practicing the presence of god i want you to know something every day when you get up as a believer you should practice the presence of god what is what does that mean pastor that means when you when you pray you are believing that God Almighty is bending His ear to listen to what you're saying. And you're going to get still enough so that you can hear what the present God is saying to you. You're practicing His presence. When you get in the car, be careful if you're, if you're a Spirit-filled Christian. And, and, and you like worship music, or you like good preaching. I either keep preaching tapes or worship music on in my truck all the time. And, and sometimes if you see me go down the road, I, I may have one hand up. And, I, and, and just take it that I'm waving at you, okay? Just take it. But I'm really not. I'm worshiping. What's bad is when you get both hands up, <laughs> and you got to let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> Anybody remember that song? That was the Underwood song, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Jesus take the wheel. I don't think that's what she meant, but that's what I have to do. I have to let Jesus take the wheel because i got both hands up worshiping. That's not a good thing. And sometimes I forget I'm in the truck and I close my eyes. That's not good either. But I'm telling you, friend, I have discovered, I have discovered that when you practice His presence, When you sing to the Lord of glory, His glory comes to where you are. (laughs) When you worship Him, His presence comes and builds a throne in the midst of your worship. I'm telling you, when you're down and out, the joy giver comes. When you're sick in your body, the healer shows up. Woo, hallelujah. When, 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 you're, when you don't have what you need, the provider somehow comes and visits your house. Uh, I, I just want you to know, when you practice the presence of God, the presence of God is there with you. The Word of God says that God builds His throne. It dwells in the midst of the the worship activities of a covenant people he inhabits the praises of Israel that's what that means God builds his pre- uh, his throne he he dwells in the worship activities of a covenant people and I tell you friend I've been made a covenant child of God through the blood of Jesus uh, so that when I worship him he comes and dwells right where I'm at he's with me he never leaves me he never forsakes me he is always there somebody shout praise the lord Glory to God. (laughs) Thou art with me. That's why I'm not afraid. That's why I'm not afraid. I remember growing up. I have three brothers, and we're we're, uh, the first three. I was born in March of 55. My brother was born in November of 56. And then my next brother was born in October of 57. 57. So that we're just kind of doorsteps. And then my mother and father got a crazy notion that they wanted to adopt another boy. And so when in 1964, my baby brother Terry came to live with us. It nine years between me and him. And he grew up in a different world that I grew up in. And I, I never have forgiven my parents for that. <laughs> my mother's favorite scripture is beat them with a rod. They shall not die. (laughs) Everywhere my mother went, she carried a belt around her neck. She never wore jewelry, never wore a watch, barely wore a wedding ring. But everywhere my mother went when she was raising us, she had a belt around her neck. And it wasn't, it wasn't in vain either. My mother was a swinger and a half. Wow! <laughs> Spare the rod. Spoil the child. I hate Bible passages like that. If I ever write a Bible, I'm leaving that one out. my mother didn't carry the she didn't bear the sword in vain and she taught us several lordship lessons in the process what are you saying pastor well this last point is thy rod and thy staff they comfort us the rod was a long stick the shepherd had it and he used it to to get rid of animals that were in the way if a snake was in the path he'd take that long rod and move it out of the way. If there was an animal that attacked one of the sheep, he would use the staff and beat that animal away from it, a, a wolf or a coyote or or in David's case a lion or a bear. And 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 the staff was was a stick as well, but it had a crook on the end of it. And and the staff was used by the shepherd to save the sheep from the problems they got into. If a sheep fell off into a, a, a chasm, they would reach down with that staff and they'd be able to grab a hold of a leg and, 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 and pull it back out and extricate it from its problems. So what David is saying is that just like a shepherd's rod and staff, God has a shepherd's rod and staff. And, and the rod is, is to save us from our enemies. Everybody say, God delivers me from my enemies. So that's the rod, and it's comforting by heart. I know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord God will raise up a standard against him. Isaiah 59, 19. And then he takes that shepherd's staff. The rod saves me from my enemies, and the staff saves me from myself. And sometimes I think we need saving from ourselves more than we do from our enemies. And that's the concept of a good parent. That's the concept of a good father. I will fear no evil because thou art with me. I know you've got that rod in one hand and the staff in the other. And you protect me from my enemies. But you also save me from myself. Have you learned that powerful lordship lesson? I never had to be afraid growing up because my mom was there. My brothers never had to be afraid because I was there. We grew up in a neighborhood with about 30 kids, most of them boys. Matter of fact, all I can remember are two girls the Kennedy girl and the Stratton girl. And the rest of them are boys. And we were constantly getting into scrapes. We loved each other. Let somebody from another neighborhood come in and we'd all take up for each other. But while we were living amongst each other, we'd always have little little petty fights and, and scrapes. And if somebody ever jumped on one of my brothers, Philip or Randy, I was Johnny on the spot. Two is better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. That works in a whole lot of applications, I want to tell you. I've never been afraid to live life because I know Jesus is with me. He defends us in order to develop us. Have you got that? Have you figured it out? He he lets you go through one peril so that your faith grows and then then the next peril comes and and your faith grows a little more and then the next peril comes and you walk through it. You get beyond it. And you stand there and say, my, look what God has done. Let's pray this morning, could we? Father, in the name of Jesus,